Welcome back to my show, Into the Light, a different life story with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another great day. We are above ground, we are here living the life, and we are we're here honest with each other. And, and that's why you tuned into the show, because this is the place where we talk very honestly about sometimes some quite heavy duty uh, subjects. And today is no exception. I'm incredibly humbled and honored to have Jeff Johnston with me. Jeff is a man who has been uh, living uh, a life full to 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 all his standards. He 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 achieved a lot. He he was uh, he was just just you know he was happy. And then he one day got that phone call that no parent ever wants to have. And uh, he has written a book about his journey and I've had the honor to read his book. And it is, it was very, it rattled my cage, let's put it like that. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a father of two young men, I recognize how much it could have been me who would have written this book. So Jeff, I'm so, so grateful that you came onto my show, or they come onto my show today, because this is a topic that is so important, the, the issue of drug use amongst mm -hmm. adolescents and those young, beautiful people out there who, who like to stretch their wings and then fall foul of, of society and those things. So Jeff, welcome to my show. Oh, Stefan, I'm honored. And I'm, uh, it's amazing the velocity of how we meet other human beings now with social media. It's like mm -hmm. I bumped against, I came across you on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago or a month ago and mm -hmm. was just intrigued by, just kind of pulled it to your story in regards to what you were trying to do with your podcast. And so I went on your site and filled out this application. I thought to myself, this guy really must take this serious because most of these podcasts, they don't have this kind of vetting process. And so I knew, I knew that to get in under your show would be, uh, would be a great opportunity for me to continue telling this story. And so again, thank you very much. Uh, we are going to navigate through some difficult times. I will probably break down a few times and cry, but to me, that's uh, like using the restroom anymore. Uh, it's just part of my day. Um, and I don't even keep score anymore. It's just, <laughs> it's just kind of who I, who I am. But you so eloquently described how my life was on October 16th, I'm sorry, October 4th, 2016, when I was 50 years old and on top of the world, man. I mean, happily married, a nine and a half out of 10 on my marriage, 10, uh, 20, 20 years now. Um, three kids, three boys, Seth, Ian, and Roman. Two pets, 5,000 square foot house, you know, multi-million dollar thriving financial services practice that I started at 23, you know, mm -hmm. Everything that every human being wants to get to the summit, you know, get to the top and then do your little, I mm. made it. Mm. And then you're right. You know, um, I remember the day, like it was just yesterday. It was a nice fall day in Iowa, mid fifties, beautiful day. Taking my son, my middle son to a golf tournament. Um, in the book, I'm, we have plenty of time. I'll, I'll talk a lot about how golf really helped me get through what I went through, but I'm dropping off my son like millions of parents do, like you did. You know, we all did. Going to watch him play sports, you know, the stress of, of missed putts and, you know, balls hit out of bounds and you just go like this as a parent. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm taking the golf bag out and I see the coach and I wave and thinking I'm going to go home, pick my wife up. We're going to have a great, beautiful day. Four, four and a half hours walking on the golf course, talking to other parents, you know, just milking it in, just loving every second. And you know, then I, I, I see the phone call and um, it, I look at it and I, I recognize the number and I'm thinking, and this isn't going to be good. You know, it's a Tuesday, it's a Tuesday. And I know this isn't going to be good, but hopefully it's just something that involves jail or um, a drunk driving or something. And so I picked the phone up and Ian's just a few feet away from me. And uh and they find out they find our oldest son Seth at 23 dead from a heroin overdose in a hotel room. 
um, never made it out of his chair. And here I am today, and I can honestly tell you, I'm a better man. I'm not a bitter man. And I navigate through this whole journey in my book and through my Living Undeterred project now that I'm on. But Stefan, it didn't happen overnight. Um, I looked at Ian and I made a split second decision like we all do as parents, you know. I didn't tell him. You know, and I, I don't regret that. I, I figured, you know, I, I don't, Ian's got this day. His team's got this day. It's districts. It's, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for him. And he was, he's been working at this his whole life to be a, a high school star golfer. And I didn't tell him. And I just got in the car and I thought to myself, I didn't even say bye to Ian. And he knew something was up, obviously, because I'm his biggest fan. And, and um, I didn't even hug him and tell him I loved him like I did every time. I got in the car and I thought, how am I going to tell my wife our son is dead? And that's how, that's how this whole book starts. That's how my whole journey started. And, um, you know, for a whole year, I went straight downhill. You know, I was a functional alcoholic up to that point. Um, and I say functional, I mean, I drank six, seven nights a week. You know, I was a red wine snob. Six, um, seven, eight, had, six, seven, eight, what? Uh, Glasses, bottles, casks, you know, I, barrels? Days, I, six, seven <laughs> days a week, I right, meant. Um, right, <laughs> but I, But I, you know, red wine was my poison. I never really got into, you know, whiskeys and brandies. I was a very mild beer drinker, but my wife and I could sit and drink, you know, three bottles of, you know, Camus or whatever. Matter of fact, funny part of my, my life is um, my cat is named Opus and my dog's named Camus still, my two favorite Cabernets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as a, as a person trying not to drink alcohol, that's probably not recommended. <laughs> but that's a bit of a giveaway that you yeah. enjoyed a lifestyle that right. was um, where alcohol was part and parcel of it. I mean, that was you. So, so Stefan, this is the book that I wrote um, to chronicle my journey I went on. It's This One's For You, An Inspirational Journey Through Addiction, Death and Meaning. And this is an actual picture of Seth around eight or nine years old. And that's a rainbow in our front yard. And I thought that's en encompass his humor and his youth and just the, the love of life and how he was just an awesome kid. Like, like they all are at eight and nine years old. And then the title again uh, is just the journey through addiction, death and meaning. And in that order, uh, it was addiction. And I'm going to, I talk about in the book about vaping and, and, um, and marijuana and alcohol and actually Adderall, which was the beginning of the end for my son was getting Adderall for ADD. And then death happened and then how I got meaning out of it. And then this one's for you is actually the title of the Des Moines Register did a big story on us. And they came out here in the front page of the Des Moines Register, which is a, um, you know, Des Moines is the largest city and it's our capital. Um, the front page said this one's for you, top Iowa golfer plays in honor of his brother who died of heroin on the day of districts last year. And so the, um, the book title came from an article that was done. And what Ian did over the years, Stefan, is when he made a putt, he would point his putter in the air. And in my book, I have an actual story. It's amazing how he ended up making a birdie to get Prairie to stay. But anyway, he held his putter up in the air. So that, that encompasses the honor that golf did using golf to help us deal with our grief and our and our suffering and that ian my other son kind of championed this cause to raise money through golf uh to honor kids and to help adolescents with alcohol and drug abuse so you know that's that's how it started october 4th 2016 and now we're coming up this october will be five years since he died and i swear i swear to you um, I am a better human being. I, I've lost my marriage over this. I've lost a child over this. I also lost my drinking over this, which was great. I lost my compulsive gambling over this, which is great. So I lost things, but I gained things. And I, I wanted to make sure, Stefan, it was important that I didn't just net net. I didn't want to make up for the losses. I wanted to actually become a better human. So how do you become better losing a child and a, a marriage? Well, I talk about it in the book. I have I have strategies I kind of developed for me uh, that work well. And one I, I'm fairly certain you understand is meditation. It's a huge part of my life. Um, the Stoic philosophy is another thing I'm really big into. That that Stoicism um, philosophy the Greeks came up with a long time ago, just in in logic and reason, kind of looking at life not in a matter of fact way but in a way that instead of waiting for meaning to come to you, you go out and make meaning in your life. You know, 
And I'm, I'm a big one to believe that things don't happen for a reason. My first blog I ever wrote in my life was called, do things really happen for a reason? And I don't believe that. I believe we make our own reason. So Seth died and I didn't sit around going, okay, somebody tell me why this happened. You know, I know why it happened. He made a very poor decision to put heroin in his arm laced with fentanyl. I don't need anything else. That's all. I know exactly why this happened. Yet for me to move on, I have to find reasons. I have to find and invent and fabricate and, and liberate myself from the torture and the pain of losing a child. And I did that through writing, reading, my Living Undeterred project, my nonprofit called the Choices Network. Um, and with ADD, I have to find things to preoccupy my mind, Stefan, or I'm going to be, I'm assuming you have ADD too. Um, who doesn't, you know? <laughs> I, I love it. Do I have ADD? I don't know. I don't of course know, you I, do. I, of course. Well, no, I, I call myself that I'm easily bored. I, I am... I am a bit like you. I read five, six books at the same time. I do various things. I, right. I, so I am constantly doing things. I, my wife is just rolling her eyes when she when she looks at me, but she has accepted yeah. that I'm an active uh, relaxer. In other words, right. If she asked me, "Come on, shall we sit together and watch a film?" That would be akin to torture. You might as well sit me on a barbecue. Um, I just can't do one thing oh, at a time. So, you know, it's funny. Yeah. No, so I, funny. I, I absolutely agree. What I would like to do, though, is may I go a little bit back in time? Yeah. yeah. Because it's so important. Here we are as parents, and we, we both have been lucky in our lives that we were able to to put our focus into our careers and came out reasonably in a good position and mm -hmm. and we had the luck of a marriage and and you know all those kind of things so actually a good house and when uh, a good household a good good family but here you were you had you had it all one could say mm -hmm. And yet your son drifted, drifted away. And I loved in the book, you're actually going into the facts. And one of the facts that absolutely stunned me was that in the United States, currently, as we speak, mm -hmm. that there are actually, uh, that things have dramatically changed compared with our upbringing. My upbringing right. was, I was introduced to alcohol and you had a beer and then too. too many beers. Yep. And then yep. you had a bit stronger stuff and too much yep. stronger stuff, etc. Yep. And then maybe you would flow into other drugs. Um, right. And luckily I was never in that, in that group, although we all dabbled a little bit here and there. In your book, you make the point that actually things have dramatically changed. Mm -hmm. There is, that finally, the messages have gotten through that smoking is not very cool because it right. bloody well kills you. Right. And you, the message has gotten through that alcohol in its own right is probably not so clever too. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you think, wow, finally. And then what happens? The incidence of people using cannabis is yeah. going up. And you think, right. what the fuck? Right, right, right. Tell me more. Well, and the vaping, and that's where I don't know what it is in, in New Zealand, if you guys have an issue with with vaping, but in our high school here, um, two years ago, they did a confiscation day and they found over a hundred vapes in one day at the middle school. And what's alarming to me is that most parents, especially in the States, they're not really familiar with vaping. Um, they couldn't pick a vape out on a table from a from an actual pen. And that's the problem is a lot of these vapes are disguised to look like pens or to look like something else. And kids are wearing hoodies in school now and pulling their shirts up and they're, they're vaping in class and, huh. or in the hallways. And, you know, so, you know, is vaping itself going to cause you to end up dead in a hotel room with a heroin, you know, with a needle in your arm? Probably not. Is that one beer you're having at the football game going to end up causing you to die from heroin? Probably not is the one. So I get that argument that, that we all did in adolescence give our give today is that these things in and of themselves aren't going to kill us, but it's the progression. It's the, it's the choices that you make under the influence that, that are typically not followed by better choices. They're followed by worse. And so with my son, Stefan, where I, when I really wanted to zero in on, and I'm, and I'm 
I'm, this is not an indictment on the medical profession. Matter of fact, my father is a very successful retired physician. He's 87. He had a great career in, in medicine. But the, 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 the diagnosis problem today where my son was diagnosed with ADD, and I, I have ADD, and we just talked about it, um, and I never took anything. Back in the day, I wrote in my book about Ritalin. Um, where I think at one point in 1999, it could have been, or maybe 95, the United States had 600,000 prescriptions of Ritalin that were given out for ADD. I think it was 10 years later, it was 3.7 million. So you tell me in 10 years that kids are any different. They're not. <laughs> They're not. They're the same freaking kids they were 10 years previously. So exactly. why are you going from 600,000 to 3.5 million Ritalin prescriptions when they're the same damn kids? The problem is we just got lazy as a society to find out what are the real reasons why. And ADD is like autism. There's a, there's a spectrum. I'm convinced of that. And you just can't say someone has ADD. It's it's You have different levels of ADD. There's high functioning. There's very minuscule ADD. Hmm. Mine is fairly high functioning ADD. Um, I allude to in the book is my dad told me it was a superpower. So <laughs> I grew up, I grew up thinking I felt sorry for the kids that weren't hyper like Jeff, yeah. you know, but now uh, later it's like today now it's like, you know, you're a werewolf. It's like you're cursed, you know, and I'm trying to get kids now to use ADD as a, as a, as a gift. It's like, you are a super, you are a superhuman. You have something that other kids don't have. They would pay to have your intense hyperactivity. Trust me, because they're just lazy. You, you don't have that problem. And and so, but see, Seth had Seth didn't Seth didn't believe that. Seth really believed that he had a problem. And I think then uh drinking and then marijuana. Um, he died before vaping was a big thing, but marijuana became a really big thing for him. And you know, so like I said, here I am looking backwards, thinking the obvious questions, you know, what could I have done differently? Mm -hmm. um, should I have intervened sooner? Should I have let things go sooner? I have no regrets, man. I, 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 I did every effing thing possible to save my son's life. I was the only one that visited him when he was in prison. I'd go to the jail and, and every week and put money in his account. I, mm -hmm. I would, uh, I'd be the one he called when he was uh, arrested for drunk driving or arrested for breaking in the neighbor's garage or arrested for stabbing somebody. It was me that he called. And, you know, I, I, um, I think as a dad, that's what you want. You want to be that person that they trust enough to call when the shit hits the fan, you know? And so I don't torture myself um, with playing games of, you know, regret or remorse that, you know, maybe Stefan, when he got out of prison, maybe I should have let him live in my house, you know? but I didn't. And I say, say in my book, I say in my book, the last words I ever told my son before he died was you need to quit drinking. And um, I didn't even tell him I loved him. But then again, you know, having the benefit of hindsight, I wouldn't have said it that I, I would have said I loved him, but I don't have the benefit of hindsight. I have the benefit of living my life right now. That's, that's my benefit I have. And um, he knows I love him. He, he knows I love him. But please, but Jeff, it is love is so much more than you expressing it. Oh, yeah. I, uh, love is that you were there for him, that you did what you did. And we can only do those things that we believe at the moment to be the best path. There is only so much lying, stealing, hiding that one can accept. And you put it really beautiful in your book because the behavior of Seth was very negatively influencing the rest of your family. Yeah. And that is where you had to make the hard call, right. hard decision to actually say, no, enough is enough. You offered him rehab. You offered him so many other things mm -hmm. and, and it, it was not meant to be. And in order to protect the rest of your family, you, you, threw him out right and and this must be one of the hardest things to do but as a as a doctor i am unfortunately used to having to make hard decisions right. that no one wants to do but someone has to do and mm -hmm. so i i see 100 where where you were and i see what you have done and it is what it is you cannot change that. And that actually, I do like that you accept that for what it is. 
I, unfortunately, in my in my life, I made choices that I regret, and I still beat myself up for them. Yeah. And there's the, still the flatulation. Oh my God, had mm. I could have, should have, would have. No, I did what I did based upon the information, based upon the, the, the facts that I had in front of me then. Hindsight is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is, and it's it's normally correct too. Uh, and if you can't learn from hindsight, then you really got a problem. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the investment business. Trust me, if I could get Bitcoin two years ago, I would have. Um, you know, um, so I want to talk about something too that I, I'm learning about this because um, on social media, I, I obviously run into a lot of addicts, uh, alcoholics primarily, that are telling their story and. You know, they always talk about um, coming from the addict's point of view about this phrase unconditional love or this term unconditional love. I'm going to be writing a blog on this for my pod, for my website on, on Monday. And I struggle with this because I hear addicts say or alcoholics will say comments like, well, you know, if my family really had my back, they would love me unconditionally. Or if something blah or if my wife really understood me she would have she would have fought for me during my alcoholism and i think to myself you know what i've put two dogs down and i unconditionally loved them but i murdered them so you know and i kicked my son out of my house 30 30 days before he died and i did it because i loved him and so unconditional love it does not mean that you are giving up everything in your life to benefit somebody else. And believe it or not, Stefan, I got divorced for the same damn reasons. I love my wife so much, I had to divorce her because I couldn't, the marriage was not fixable at that point. And it would be it would be unfair to her for us to stay in that marriage. So, and that sounds a cop-out, but I'm not you know, in a relationship, I'm completely happy with myself. And it's been two years we've been separated. And so I, I, I'm going to write this con, this blog on unconditional love because I think people are, that's my dog, sorry. Um, I think people are are throwing that out there haphazardly and especially people are st- drug or struggling with, say, alcoholism are so easy to kind of start passing blame on other people. But I think unconditional love, I think it should be called real love, real love and not unconditional because I don't believe in unconditional love, not the narrative that's presented by the way we define it today. We need a new definition of unconditional love. We need to stress the importance of ownership, Mm -hmm. extreme ownership of Mm -hmm. what you do has consequences. And unfortunately, there is a whole whole generation now um, being brought up not necessarily understanding the consequences of their actions uh, because right. the moment you say I'm offended, well, that's it. Sorry. Um, yeah. we, we can't possibly offend you. Um, right. These kind of things. There are a lot of things at the moment that where society has reinvented itself into something that I don't think is such a positive thing. So mm-hmm. I agree with you a hundred percent. It is ownership is that you accept that your actions can only, let me rephrase that. There is a a beautiful saying, your rights stop at the tip of my nose. Mm -hmm. And I think that needs to be very, very clear. What you choose to do with your life, this is your decision. You need to live with that. But if your choices then have massive consequences on us, I'm sorry, no, that is not on. And I think that is that is so important. So ownership and and being clear about that is a must nowadays. And if we have got the duty of teaching our children uh, about that. And I'm a bit guilty here because I let my kids get away with far too much. And uh, so I'm not sure that I was the best teacher there. But today, well, today is always a a new day and I can I can make sure that they understand now. I'm happy you said the word teacher because I am such a subscriber to uh, life being such a such a great teacher. Um, You know, just death itself is an efficient teacher, just the idea of embracing impermanence is what I write about a lot in the fact that, you know, knowing in advance that everything comes to an end, you, are, you and I, our conversation will come to an end at some point today. 
someone will watch this podcast and that'll come to an end and the relationships come to an end. My mom and dad are spoke both here, but I know someday they won't be. And the problem is as a society, I think mm -hmm. is that we have expectations of mortality mm -hmm. and especially children that have never dealt with anything other than a pet or a grandparent. You lose a sibling, a sibling, you lose a, a, a relationship, a boy or a girlfriend, you lose a parent or um, yeah, a parent. It's a whole different set of dynamics. Um, mm -hmm. Sibling death is actually uh, in my research I did in my book is one of the highest areas of concern for the remaining mm -hmm. siblings. It's one of the toughest things to deal with is losing. It's more tougher than losing a mom or dad easily mm -hmm. is losing a sibling. Um, and so, you know, this impermanence thing, I kind of got from my meditation and one of the individuals I, I listen to frequently, and I really enjoy his writings, um, talks a lot about impermanence. And so that word became some, some, somewhat of a, um, an important word for me, such as the word undeterred, which is in my book, which is where I got the Living Undeterred project from, because I just like that word. A, no one says it because it's not really comfortable to say off your tongue. It's not like resiliency. It's undeterred. It kind of struggles to say it. Um, which I like that because no one's using it. Um, but um, but yeah, so it's like impermanence. What a what an awesome idea that we can teach our kids is that everything has a last time. Everything does, and and be in advance, be ready to handle things that happen that are not necessarily in the order. You know, death doesn't present itself in a convenient order. Um, we don't die in the right order, and. Um, things don't always end or start in the right order. Sometimes the best relationships come out of chaos. You know, I met my wife after I bad girlfriend and I hated women. I was out in the town with friends and I'm like, <laughs> if any female comes over to this table, I ain't talking to her. Well, I ended up marrying her and you know, we had a great 21 year marriage. It's like, so it's like sometimes when you're not looking for stuff, it hits you right in the face, you know? Um, right. <laughs> I see you're so laughing because you can relate. <laughs> yes, I can. Very much so. <laughs> and, but that is life. And I actually right. like that. It is, I have got a huge advantage over you because as a doctor, there is constantly, I get constant reminders that life, whatever you think uh, will happen, uh, fate or God or whoever is right. out there um, will think, nah. Nah. And right. it is that could be an accident where suddenly your motorbike comes off the trail, the mountain right. bike where you start kissing a tree and the next thing is your paraplegic or right. you're, you know, it is so many things. You right. have lived and worked so hard and suddenly you've got colon cancer. Right. I'm sorry. Right. You know, it's all that. So there is nothing permanent. There is nothing there don't take anything for granted. This mm -hmm. is a, a this is something that my working life is constantly teaching me, and I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, I'm a good listener. In the past, I was stupid and and full of testosterone and and full of bulletproof. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we and we need to. But it is, ah, uh, you need to go through these lessons though, in mm -hmm. order to be able to accept these new insights. You didn't think like that uh, before 2016. You didn't think about that. You had complete different priorities. You had completely yeah. different different thoughts. Your life was so different it's compared perfect. with right now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was just, you know, and then um, another thing that I've really, really learned that I think can help people watching this that are going through. and. You know, I, I hope people don't look at this as saying, well, geez, you know, there's this there's this hierarchy of of tragedy, you know, death of a child, death of a sibling, you know, death of a dog, death of a cat, whatever. That's not true. Trauma is trauma, um, you know, and, and some people are going to have things happen to them that um, I, I know a gentleman named Steve Grant, who's a good friend of mine. He lost his only two boys to heroin overdoses. Think about that, right. Stefan. Yeah, 20, 20 years ago, before the opioid epidemic was even a household name, Chris and Kelly died five years apart, his only two boys. Steve is a hero to mine. He was one of my first podcast guests. I've got his book. It's called Don't Forget Me. 
Um, he's, he's raised a million dollars for the Chris and Kelly Hope Foundation for to help adolescents through drug and alcohol abuse. Wow. That's a hero to me. That, Absolutely. that is somebody I want to be like, and I have two of my three boys still here. So I'm freaking lucky. Um, he lost his only two where I'm going with this is this, the concept of reframing is, is an important pillar to me in my therapy. And what I mean by reframing is learning to look at things from a different perspective. And I wrote a blog on this and posted it yesterday. And let me tell you how I presented it. When I was writing my book, I got about halfway through it and I about abandoned the project because it became about Jeff Johnston, it became about no one's gonna read it. Uh, am I gonna make any money? All the stupid things that I never started off with my book was, was started off for different reasons than that. But as I was going through it, I started comparing other books on the market and I thought, well, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna pull this. I don't wanna do it anymore. And then I said, you know what? I need to reframe how I'm thinking about my book. This is about my son. Yeah. This is to honor Seth. And the moment I reframed it and put aside the selfishness that I had started to the project with, or at least grew into, the moment I made it about Seth, I wrote with reckless abandon. I stayed up all night. I had no fear. I ripped up chapters, started over. I called people out of the blue to interview them. I kicked ass on this project. And it was because I changed my frame. So Stefan, it's the same book. Yeah. The, the book doesn't know who's writing it. It's just a piece of, you know, in this case, computer, not paper. But my point was I changed my perspective. I put on a different lens. I, I had to take off my old lens and put on a new one. And so that has, again, I looked at death as, okay, you took one of my boys, but I tell you what, I got two of my kids still here, bring it on, you know? And, and that, that's kind of how I took on this challenge is I've got, if you, you know, two thirds, that's good. That gets you in the hall of fame in a lot of sports, you know? Um, <laughs> true. Very true. Exactly. So I'm the, I'm in the hall of fame of living, I guess, whatever. Um, so it's like, you know, I, I'm not that freaking smart and yeah. I have to trick my brain constantly with these little games. Drinking is another one I've done. I've quit alcohol giving was up was the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. By far the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. And I was a 50 year old, six days a week functioning alcoholic. And I quit, oh. I quit December 24, 2017. And I've never thought about alcohol a second since. Now, how did I do that? I, I, there's a lot of th ways I did. One of it is I didn't overthink it. And with ADD, I don't have effing time to sit around and analyze things. So I came up with these games. I came up with these little games. One was I put a picture of my... <laughs> Sorry. I put a picture of my son's face on every alcohol beverage I saw. I go to restaurants today and I order a glass of wine and I put it in front of me and I see my son's face on it and I don't drink it. I have a 250 bottle Cabernet next to my bed, Camus, that I don't drink. Um, I don't recommend my strategies to quit drinking. <laughs> These work for me. I tell you what, I'm I'm odd in that perspective, man, because I just, I, 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 I it's been so easy for me to quit drinking. It's been so easy. And I tell you what, when you, when your purpose finds a passion, it becomes personal. And I say that, I say that many times purpose becomes a passion when it becomes, when it becomes personal. And for me, I didn't care about quitting drinking. I didn't care about adolescents smoking pot until my son died. And all of a sudden these things became very important to me. And so I found my why, and that's what I'm trying to get people to do out there. Every alcoholic out there that's stumbling and muttering and going to meetings and just having a hard time, they haven't found their why yet. That's it. And once they find their why, I swear to you, I swear to you, they will quit drinking. They will find out how insignificant alcohol really is in their life. Yeah. I may drink again. I don't even call myself an alcoholic. I just choose not to drink at 5.30 Central Standard Time on Friday. Mm -hmm. that's it that's it i i don't 
I don't even think about tomorrow. I don't think about yesterday. I don't, I don't even tell you how many days I've been, I haven't drank. I know what day I quit, but I have no idea how many days it's been because I may drink tomorrow. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to play that game. And if I fall off the wagon, I'm not going to torture myself. Mm. If I fall off the wagon, I just chose to drink that day, you know, mm. and I won't drink tomorrow. I won't drink today. I, I just, you know, I don't know if this works. I don't know if this is any groundbreaking scientific study that I came up with, but you know, for me it works. And I just, I'm not that, I'm not that intelligent to sit around and play Oh, this is a disease. Okay. My grandpa drank, my dad drank. So thus I must turn into a werewolf at midnight. You know, mm. I, I don't, be, I don't believe that. I simply don't believe that. And I got people that will argue with me the, the disease model and I'll say, so what? Mm. Okay. You, I'll give you that. But at some point during the process, you get off the couch, you walk across the, the, the room, you open the refrigerator, you pop open the bottle, you pour it in a glass, you put it in your mouth. There's seven freaking choices right there. You can't tell me that your grandpa had anything to do with that. <laughs> no, I love the way you think. <laughs> no, well, I, it's, that's just, the thing. I don't think. I don't think. <laughs> I'm not overthinking it. I think the reality is the the disease model is is a very good model because it basically uh, shows how how some of us are more tempted and more more. Uh, more at risk of developing right. uh, a problem, but there are so many choices in between. Right. Um, you are quite right. You're quite right. There are the choices of indeed listening to the negative emotions. There's the choice of not learning about you emotions right there's the choice right. of thinking our oh, meditation is crap i don't need right that. i'm better right. okay so there are a lot of choices there and all these choices lead then to you drinking okay right. so that is really the way i look at things you you have choices every single second of the day and by living a life of recovery that's when you learn about these choices. That's when you and, learn about transforming yourself into a better man, a better woman, a better human being. And it is just a beautiful, beautiful journey. But we need mm -hmm. to get whacked over the head with yeah. something like the death of your child. Right, right. To Before you right. actually realize fucking hell where, what were my priorities? You now, described- well, Why you did just, you take that? Huh? Why did it take, why did it take that? You know, that, that's what I, that's what I, I'm trying to get other people, you know, mm. to understand what well, I could have got divorced and I wouldn't have given up drinking, but the mm. fact I lost a child, then got divorced, I gave yeah. up drinking, but yeah. so yeah, you were going to say something, but I interrupted. No, no, you, I but, was, no, no, I was trying to ask you, you earlier on, you described your life uh, prior to 2016 as near perfect. Yeah. Is your life now perfect or how it's would better, you just, how would it's you describe it? It's, 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 it's better than that. Let me tell you, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. And I, I just noticed how red I am is because I was golfing all day and I didn't wear a hat. I got freaking yeah, sunburned. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's the your professional. <laughs> your professional editing team's, team's going to have to make me whiter. But uh, no, um, now I forgot what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you, is your life perfect? Or oh, yeah, how yeah, would yeah. You, um, how would you describe your life now? I'm at peace. I gave up, I gave up happiness. I gave up searching for happiness. Happiness to me is an illusion. I don't, I don't desire it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't thirst it. I don't, uh, I don't pursue it because it's fleeting and it's short term and it's, it's a purely emotive. It's an emotive state of mind. Happiness is, happiness is something I don't desire anymore. Now, peace, I'm, I'm there. I'm there right now in, in peace. I have the most, I have four years, uh, things that happened in my last four years have been so traumatic. There's nothing that I could hear next that would be as traumatic as what happened the last four years. And I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not a believer in saying, well, don't say that, Jeff. I can watch, I can watch the movie Airplane on an airplane. You know, that doesn't <laughs> bother me. It doesn't bother me. Um, you know, but it's like, it's like, I, I got to thinking about some of these things about, um, about, perspective and framing and all that and going back to how I look at things and and that's really kind of what kept me from joining my son I I'm not gonna lie to you the first year he died um I thought of suicide I, I didn't leave my house I drank excessively I 
my wife and I both were just in a really dark, dark, bad place. Um, I didn't think I was going to get out of it. So I'm not saying I got to here overnight. I'm not like, I'm not like superhuman. You know, I, I had a year where it was, it was absolutely horrendous, gut wrenching. Um, I still have those nights. Um, two nights ago, I was on the floor at midnight in a fetal position and my Labrador is my savior. He comes up and just licks the tears off me, you know, and I tell you what, anyone that says animals don't have a soul has uh, never has never been on a fetal position crying with their pet. Because I tell you what, my my animal, my my two dogs and my cat have has, have been a part of my plan too to save my life. It's just like they are just unbelievable. But again, that's that's another uh, another uh, arrow in my quiver that I go to. I keep pulling out these arrows, you know that. I know, I know alcohol and marijuana and lying and being unhealthy, all these arrows aren't going to be productive for me living. So I got to pull arrows that are going to keep me going. You know, I got, I got two kids, a 20 and a 17 year old that saw their brother die. I've seen other family members uh, crumble and they cannot afford to have me the, probably the only male influence in their life at this point um, to fall. So someone asked me, Jeff, what's, what's your why? Here's my why. Here's my why, Stefan. And this may surprise you. My why is three things. My why is me. My first why is me. There's a reason I say in the book, we're in an airplane, they say, put your oxygen mask over your face first before you help your kids. Okay, I'm on an airplane that's crashing. I need to put my oxygen mask on me first, quit drinking, ate healthy, became vegan, worked out, you know, all these things to try to get the strongest frame of mind before I could help everyone else around me. Second was to honor my son. And then third is help other people. So my why is easy, me, Seth, others. That's, that's my why. And I see too many people out there that have been through trauma that are out there trying to help other people. And I often wonder, why don't they just selfishly say, you know what, I wrote this book to save my freaking life. That's why I wrote this book. Mm -hmm. um, that was the number one reason. And the second reason was to honor Seth, mm -hmm. you know, but don't you agree that it's very hard to go through life if your only objective, and I had an issue with this where somebody the other day, I was listening to something and they were talking about uh, your purpose, you know, your meaning in life. And neither Vic, either Victor Frankl says, you know, my purpose I discovered was helping others. I challenge that. I think my purpose is helping me. I think my purpose in my life is helping me become a better or at peace with myself. Then I can move on to save the world, but I can't do it if I'm an alcoholic or I'm suicidal ideation or I'm depressed. Um, you know, I, I tried to bring up one time I got kind of ridiculed because on social media, I, I made a post that probably was a little bit stupid, to be honest with you. I said, I didn't believe in depression because I, with ADD, I tried it once and I didn't have the time. I didn't, I couldn't pay attention to depression. So it didn't work out for me. Well, you know how that went over that went over like a lead weight, you know, it's like, but I've never been depressed. I don't, I, I've never been depressed. I've had freaking depressive moments the most intense depressive moments you could possibly have, but I've never had a depression period of time. I've learned to compartmentalize, every, like you saw me cry there, that's how I cry, fast, furious, and I'm done. And, and um, again, ADD has helped me deal with these things. If I didn't have ADD, maybe I would be depressed. I don't know, I don't know. You, you know more about this than I do with mm -hmm. your background, but um, my only client is Jeff Johnston. You know, that's, that's my only, that's my only science experiment, you know, which isn't a good one. <laughs> oh, no, but it, you have to work with what you've got. So, right. you know, there's right. a nice, there's a nice saying amongst photographers, you know, what is the best camera in the world? The one that you have got on you. Okay, so <laughs> I love that. It, it, I love that. Exactly. You are you and you have to deal with your idiosyncrasies with your the way you take with the way right. your your belief systems your moral compass is aligned and i know that. depression exists i know depression I, I i'm not being that stupid and i'm not being that insensitive yeah. I, I i know depression is a horrible horrible thing post-traumatic stress all these things anxiety mm. but for jeff johnston i've tried it 
I didn't like it. I, I didn't enjoy it. Mm. So like drinking, yep. I just quit. I didn't enjoy it, so I quit. Um, when you were, when you found yourself at midnight lying in the fetal position, yeah. how would you call that? Hmm. Wow, that's a... I would call it lying at the bottom of the abyss, looking out of the abyss, knowing that you can't go any further because the only place to go is suicide. There was no, there was no room between suicide and living for me. It was just, it was narrow. It was a thin layer of ice there. And um, how I didn't kill myself, um, I never had a gun to my head. I'll be honest with you with that. I never considered any other option. So I never had, I know suicidal ideation, they talk about planning. I, I never planned it. Um, I just figured there was certain times I just didn't want to live. Uh, you cry so much that that pit in your stomach, you just, you can't get any more out. And people that cry like that can obviously, and I'm sure you have in your lifetime cried like that. It's horrendous, but you know that that has an impermanence element to it as well. And that's the beauty of any bad event is this lifespan is limited as well. So just as though good things have impermanence, so does, so do the bad things. And my grieving has a level of impermanence as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wrote this, I wrote this thing and I stole from Viktor Frankl and you probably recall it in the book. Viktor Frankl says, suffering is my opportunity. And I said, that's great, but I don't want to plagiarize it. So I came up with pain is unavoidable, but suffering is a choice. And so the pain of Seth's death to me was unavoidable. Um, you put a dog down, that's unavoidable pain. Uh, you know, you, your parents die, that's unavoidable. But the length of time I choose my misery, the, the, the chosen suffering is really up to me. It's 100% up to me. No one else can get me to change my, the narrative on my suffering. And, and so what I suggest for people that are suffering is try to find a why. Mm -hmm. And it, it could be a little why, like honor, or like, you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna live long enough to see my son graduate high school. Mm -hmm. So I can't kill myself when they're a sophomore. That's my why. I wanna, I wanna get, and then two years go by, mm -hmm. you're still alive, they're out of high school. Now you realize that the reason you would have killed yourself isn't the same reason today, it's changed. You know, everything has impermanence, you know? And I think that's something that people are struggling that they need to just realize that even the worst of times, I mean, I can't imagine, God forbid I lose another child, but I'm prepared. I, I am prepared for that. I am prepared to get stage four cancer. I am prepared for anything. And in the meantime, I'm not going to sit down and worry about it. Mm -hmm. And you have transformed yourself through a lot of soul searching into that person. You mm -hmm. have, you have redefined yourself and that uh, that's clearly a warrior in you that is helping you there. And that is the person who made you in the first instance successful, who made you in the first instance seek Uh, all those choices that led you to where you are in your life. Right. What I find interesting is that you deny the word depression when mm -hmm. you said at the same token, you and your wife were in a really, really dark place. Mm -hmm. Now, why do you think that is not depression? Or do you rather believe that what you went through is not something not not a disease, but actually a logical step in order for you to transform into the person that you are now. A logical kind of sequence that has to happen, a, a, a severe form of grief, so to speak, yeah. rather than depression. Great way to frame that question. I purposely didn't say that I didn't believe in depression. I just said I didn't believe in it for me. Yeah. And I am certain that I was depressed. Um, but I'm not going to let my brain know that. I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to, okay. like, like I said, I I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, <laughs> I, I have a lot of parallels with like Bigfoot and UFOs. Um, <laughs> I could go off on that. Um, but for me, it's like, you know, with depression, I could sit around and have someone diagnose me 
yeah. like they did my son and say, you know what, Jeff, you have depression. F that. Yeah. I, I, I know what my body's telling me. I yeah. know what I went through. I don't need someone to tell me that there's a one word to define the, the feeling in your stomach when you're throwing up literally and you yeah. are clawing up this well of despair and you can't get out. I know what that is. That's depression. But once I say that to myself and I start believing I have depression, then I'm now I have depression. It's like, I don't want to play that game. That's why I'm not an alcoholic. Okay. I don't, I don't want to, I just don't want to play that game. I just choose not to drink. Yeah. I choose not, I choose not to be um, in that depressive mm -hmm. state today, right now. But I know, I know I'll get into a dark place. Mm -hmm. I just got to find ways to get out of it. And there is there are there is quite a, a school of thought of not labeling yourself and right. therefore maintaining the freedom to 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 have every second a new choice and going the right way. I am not as strict in my thinking. I think it is sometimes to label something can be a help. And I still call myself an alcoholic more yeah. because I I I want to remind myself of the dark side that mm -hmm. was my part of my life. Right. I nowadays I I live a life so beautiful that I I I'm so blessed. I mean, it's just oh, I love it. Love love my life. Um, but it yeah it is uh, it's still the darkness was there. And by me saying, see, I'm not an alcoholic, I don't think that will serve me. Um, yeah, right. Was I depressed? Right. Yes, I had depression. Do right. I have PTSD? Yes, I have had PTSD. Mm -hmm. I might as well call it what it is. But that is more me actually accepting that I had a problem and admitting that I had a problem. Now, mm -hmm. I, I don't live there anymore. That was, that was the past. Yeah. Um, and I don't let it define me. Yes, I had shitloads of trauma, but the trauma doesn't define me. I have mm -hmm. got scars. They don't mm -hmm. define me. Mm -hmm. They're just part of me, and I mm -hmm. accept them for what they are. And, but I focus on, a, on, on, the, on right now, and I focus on the future. And that is, mm -hmm. I think, what made me so, so serene, what made mm -hmm. me so actually... Ha ha it's interesting that you said happiness is something that you don't subscribe to. And with right. that, I believe that you think happiness as this kind of, ah, oh, we need to always be happy, smiley. There's always sunsets and there's never rain and right. that kind of happiness. I agree with you. That is nice when we are there, but that's not where we were designed. That's not where, we, where our, our equilibrium is. Our equilibrium is serenity and is the moment and living the moment. We don't want to be in the pain down there and the right. misery. We want to be up there, but we can't stay there all the time. So why not find our beautiful, calm center where we can be content and satisfied and, and happy, but not in this funny, happy Coca-Cola advertisement, happy yeah kind yeah. of crap but actually right. you know content and, and let me kind of step back a minute and be careful how i um phrase things because i i'm um the way i handle things isn't what i'm recommending other people to do um but i'm asked frequently how how did you survive this what do you do and so i tell people these things and then i had to be careful because these aren't breakthrough scientific studies these are just little simple things I play with my brain that I just decided I wasn't going to kind of buy into these narratives. Um, and, and you know what, they've worked for me so far. Um, and I fully anticipate more challenges down the road, mm -hmm. uh, more uh, arrows I add to the quiver. I keep, mm -hmm. you know, adding new things because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a um, compulsive learner at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to be, you yep. have to be. Yep. Um, and I just really, I'm really kind of the type of person, I was this way kind of before Seth died, where I would take my strongest convictions and then read a book that countered them, and as opposed to confirmation bias, where someone just literally reads, you know, 
everything that validates what they believe in. Well, that, how are you learning anything? So I've always been, I've always been one to kind of been forcing myself to think outside the box for my own sanity. And so Seth died. I'm like, okay, what are the, some things I can learn about this? So I went through and, and dove into Adderall and dove into prescriptions, um, what's being diagnosed. And I dove into the labels that are out there on, on kids, specifically the kids. Um, I dove into alcoholism, some of the driving forces, why people not necessarily drink. I know, I know why. Um, there could be, obviously, there's an addictive gene that has to have some biological activation to, to get you to drink. Um, but then why can some people like me just literally stop? Mm. You know, I, I can't be the only human out there that's ever, ever decided that this is the way I wanted to live my life, you know? And so I'm just trying to challenge people to look at things differently. Um, one area that I think I would like to, to discuss a little bit that you and I haven't talked about um, at all, and it's a little, um, I'm always kind of interesting how this will go down when I bring it up, because the assumption is, and I tried to, I tried to be very careful in the book, um, and maybe you saw my, my intention in some areas that I danced around, um, is my spiritual belief structure which seems to be a massive foundation for billions of people that, that they, that's what they build their lives on. And that's fine. I, I just personally, I'm agnostic and, and I'm not a believer in the afterlife. I'm not a believer in synchronicity. I'm not a believer in karma. Um, I'm not. And, and would it be easy for me to make that move? Certainly. You know, why did God take my child, you know, and what did I do wrong and punish myself? But I was this way before Seth died. And I'm not saying I'm an atheist because atheists, atheists know something. I don't know shit. I have not had anything happen yet that would get me to believe in God. So, you know, and, and have my, have, all my friends are religious and I love, they love me to death. I love them to death. And that's why they're my friends. We have no, no issues with this. My closest friends are some of the most religious people I, I know. And they know where I stand. I had them read my manuscript a number of times because I didn't want to piss off religious people. But on the other token, it's like not being a believer has certainly helped me deal with the realities of the short life I really have to live. The fact that I, since I know I only have this life and I don't really have another plan B, I really better make full sure I take advantage of every moment I have on this one life I have. And so my respect for living is actually higher than if I would believe in heaven and hell, because then I believe there's a second chance. And the fact I don't believe that drives people nuts. They're like, well, how the hell can you do? How can you do all this, Jeff, and not believe in God? I'm like, well, quite easy. Um, because not believing has allowed me not to complicate things, you know? So, oh, I, and you, you're the first, you're the first one on the podcast I've ever brutally told it that way. Normally I just That's dance around. But I'm not apologetic. I mean, being a non-believer really has helped me deal with trauma because I there's nothing to complicate things in my life. Nothing. Jeff, where have you been all my life? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm an agnostic. I, I absolutely is the same thing. I don't believe yeah. in God. I believe in good and bad, and I try to be a good man as I much as I possibly can. Um, but I actually love the the logical conclusion you took it to the next step by yeah. saying actually i don't have a second chance therefore <laughs> it's there's the saying with regards to climate Today. change that's why we only have got one world uh, okay yeah. we better look after it and it's the same with one body one yeah. mind one life yeah i right. absolutely agree with you and that is why i'm nowadays quite fiercely protective about my time and I'm honest with my own needs. I put, the, yep. as you said, the mask on first in the aeroplane before I help others. And that, but that's only something I've learned after after my crash down, after my breakdown, uh, mm -hmm. after after my rehab, and the the last seven years of transformation. They mm -hmm. are, they were, a beautiful first step. And mm -hmm. I say that on purpose because I'm nowhere finished transforming. Oh, yeah. and I'm nowhere finished. We're just getting growing. started. <laughs> well, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. And that's that's yeah. our strength. That's our strength because we both have gone through through very dark times, and we we have made a conscious decision of 
dealing with that and then learning from it and now are creating a world where we are very different human beings. You will mm -hmm. be now a very different father to Ian and it, it's right. Rome, uh, Roman, isn't it? It's yeah, this. Roman, yep. Right. yep. Uh, so you will be a very different there. In the future, you will be a very different partner to right. to uh, to a loved one mm -hmm. and so on and so on. We have made conscious choices and we continue to to make them and we do no longer take things for granted. And I think right. that is that is an invitation that I want to send out to everyone out there. Please start living in the moment. And your moment might be shit right now, yeah. but it's still part and parcel of it. So what is what is a choice that you guys can do right now? You know? Yeah, I, I, boy, I, could, I mean, I, you and I could just talk for hours on this stuff. I mean, this stuff's just, this stuff's really intriguing to me. And, and again, um, I, I admire and I respect and I love my fellow friends and, and, and humans that are big believers. Some, some of them are my biggest supporters on my cause. My, we have our big charity golf outing tomorrow, my yeah. living under church. And some of the biggest donors were religious people. And, and, and they know that I am not trying to convert anybody. This is just what I believe. And that's the great thing about being agnostic is I really don't care what other people think. I'm not trying to convert anybody over to not believing. It's just, to me, that's what I've been like my whole life. I need more evidence. And again, um, I'm not saying that there isn't anything out there. I'm just not smart enough yet to claim that I know. And I certainly am not going to believe what someone tells me until I have my own evidence. And, and that, again, that's coming from a simple-minded human being. I'm not, I'm not overly complicating things. Um, and, that's, and it is what it is. But, yeah, I mean, exactly. It is, exactly. Yeah. So that, no, but, you know, for, those, for those people that really need that, uh, God bless them. I'll leave it at that. God, God bless them. I mean, that's awesome. If, if God gets you out of the well, if God gets you to quit drinking, if, if, if God gets you to be a better man a better woman a better mom a better yeah. son yeah. then there is a god for you and that's all that matters right how beautiful is that <laughs> yeah absolutely jeff what a beautiful 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 interview i'm i was i'm i'm humbled i'm honored that you came onto my show um i want you to show your book again so that yes. people see it guys go out there it's a lovely book and it is a book with which you can start a conversation, with which you can start a conversation with yourself, but also within your family. And actually, if you if you're a father or a mum, or you know somehow have got connections to some young people, would it not be cool to actually start a conversation? Would it not be cool to actually raise awareness? And would it not be cool for you to start a conversation? And then shut the fuck up and listen <laughs> to what what comes back from the young people. Literally you listen. <laughs> you obviously read the chapter where Roman came to me and said, Dad, I have to talk to you. And he, he yeah, put his hand exactly. up over my I love that. I love that. <laughs> He's like, shut your mouth, Dad. I want to talk to you. And so, yeah. And so, but how many, how many of us are like that? We just exactly. want to jump in and be, we want to be Dr. Phil, you know, we Absolutely. want to. We want to understand and, and talk our way out of it. And it's like, but I will tell you one thing, um, the book project, everything I've done, um, every single penny that I make off the book goes into my nonprofit. And my nonprofit is called the Choices Network. And I purposely called it that because I'm not the sober living organization. I'm not anti-drugs. Matter of fact, I'm for the legalization of marijuana, which is surprising for people. But again, I'm open-minded on things. Just because it's legal doesn't mean you have to smoke it. That's my mantra. Mm -hmm. um, but going back to the Choices Network is I'm trying to get kids to make better choices with drugs and alcohol um, and then understand that every time you make a choice, you may have that beer. That's not necessarily a bad choice. It's the one that's after it. Mm -hmm. You know, these things compound. And so mm -hmm. the Choices Network is my dream. Um, we have a tremendous amount of support here. It's gaining momentum. And the ultimate objective is to get out, to speak, to do podcasts, to talk about um, how parents can have these conversations with kids and how kids need to trust their parents. Because really at the end of the day, when you really need help, the ones that are going to be for you, I was, Seth's friends weren't going to visit him in jail. Mm. His friends he was driving around drinking with and breaking into houses with and smoking pot with, they ran like lemmings. Mm. 
I was there, dad was there, the one person. And so as a child or as an adolescent, even though you think you, you hate your parents, when the shit hits the fan, they will be the ones there for you. So if you have tough things going through, why don't you move them up to the top of the list? They're the ones you should be talking to, not your friends that are already making poor decisions. And then for parents, shut the F up, listen to them, understand they're not, they're not you. They're not a reflection of you. They're their own selves. They're, their, they're them. You need to, I don't know how much time we have left, but there's a great story that I have a podcast on called An Act of Love. And I'd like to have all my, all the people watching this, or even if you have time. And it's about my son, Roman came out to me as gay uh, when he was 17. And I had a moment there, an opportunity to F it up. You know, I, I had an opportunity to drop the ball. And one thing that was nice being agnostic is I didn't have anybody else to impress. I just, it was between me and my son. I didn't have to go impress somebody else that my son was gay. And so I, um, I hugged him. I loved him. I said, take me on this journey, bud. I'm on your journey. You're not on my journey. I'm on your journey. And so that's, that's the thing I'm trying to teach parents is to be open-minded. There's a reason why gay teenagers are five times more likely to commit suicide than straight teenagers. And simply it's because they can't go and talk to people. If you if, if every gay child that killed themselves had an opportunity to go talk to their parents about their homosexuality, I'm guessing a number of them wouldn't have killed themselves. And so there's another thing now I've been, I've been offered this opportunity on a silver platter to learn about this. And instead of um, being like a lot of parents probably would and fight back saying, oh, it's a phase, you'll outgrow it and you're going to get teased. I'm like, F that dude. You be the best gay you can be, man. And I'm going to support you 100%. You know? Oh, beautiful. Yeah. That's just, and again, it's, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful that we can now make the choice ourselves as parents to to do that maybe our parents were not able to do that because they didn't feel that feel liberated and they didn't have the insights that we too have gained so yeah. now that's beautiful the timing for us to talk about these things is definitely better i would i would oh, say hell that for yes. sure yeah guys thank you so much everyone for tuning in chef i was so honored to have you on my show it was a beautiful beautiful show we too indeed could talk for hours and and maybe we should uh, maybe well, we will a, i'm gonna drag uh, you on my show next so <laughs> it would so. be an honor it would be an absolute honor there's no two ways around that well, guys consider it done Thank you so much. And again, thank you for being here. And thank you guys for, for tuning in and, and showing an interest and, and, and trying to be the better human beings that, that you guys can be. So everyone out there, look after yourself. Bye. Thank you.